Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be starting on page 152 of the Four Crafts. And we're going to be talking about the power of priestcraft. Priestcraft versus priesthood. The Lord and the devil present two different plans for man's salvation. They might be classified under the headings of priesthood and priestcraft. I have to disagree, first off. Um, Satan's plan was about damnation, not salvation. Just uh, throwing that out there. He didn't, he, I guess he did want to save people from the consequences of their actions by limiting their actions through damnation, but... Um, anyway, I don't know, I just something interesting there. Priesthood elevates to the worthy of the true and the living God. Priestcraft degrades to the slavery of the soul. Priesthood saves, priestcraft destroys. Since the devil does not have a genuine plan of his own, he tries to corrupt the, the Savior's plan. Everything good is perverted, changed slightly, so that it is no longer the Lord's program. The imitation of the gospel is often so close to the truth that it is easy for men to make mistakes, to mistake it for the genuine article. George Q. Cannon described the difference between the two plans. Quote, but men have seen priestcraft in the world, and they confound that with priesthood. But I want you to understand that there is a wide distinction between priesthood and priestcraft. Men who exercise priestcraft become wrong doers and oppressors and commit great sins under the guise of religion, while trying to appear in the eyes of the world as being in the service of God. But the priesthood is not of that character. It is beneficent, beneficent in its operations. It blesses, it upholds, it strengthens, it diffuses love, union, peace, and every godlike quality among mankind. Previously, Elder Cannon also said that there is a difference between priestcraft and priesthood. Priestcraft builds up itself and is not authorized of God. Priestcraft oppresses the people, but the priesthood of God emancipates men and women and makes them free. Journal of Discourses, Volume 13, page 55. Another distinction is that priesthood does not persecute, but priestcraft usually does. 
after living in a basically priestcraft society for so long, many people are looking for something better. Parley P. Pratt ran across one such man on his mission. Quote, We then entered into the town and called at a hotel. We told the landlord that we had come in the name of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel to the people, being sent by him without purse or script. Well, said he, you are welcome in my house and such fare as, I, as we have, and we will meet together and hear your religion, and if it proves to be better than, our, than our, ours, we will embrace it. For we confess that our religion is to fiddle and dance and eat and drink <laughs> and be merry and gamble and swear a little and we believe that this is better than priestcraft. No, said he, I have not attended a religious meeting this five years. I have been I have long been disguised are disgusted and tired of priestcraft and religious ignorance and division and have concluded to stand aloof from it all, and quote Parley P. Pratt autobiography, 1985 edition, pages 67 and six, uh, through 69. I'm sorry, pages 66 through 67. I don't know why that other number came from. Those embracing, embracing priestcraft often put on an artificial facade in order to deceive. Dr. Hugh Nibley explained, quote, It is not enough for the wicked to make excuses or explanations in order to live with themselves and succeed in their undertakings. They must stand forth and be counted as a pillar of righteousness, raising a hue and cry with practiced skill against those who would jeopardize their position, demonstrating usually with the aid of paid Rhetoricians, or people who are skilled in the art of using rhetoric, um, ministers and lawyers, that it is not they, but their opponents who are wicked. This is a... I'm sorry, this word is hard for me. Um, it's letmotef. Um or let motif, I guess. Um, and the definition of that word, because I've actually never run across this word before, at least I don't remember running across it. But let motif, or let, let motif, a recurrent theme throughout a musical or literary compilation, or composition associated with a, a particular person, idea, or situation. There are two leitmotifs in his score marking the heroine and her fairy godmother. Interesting. And it comes from German. Uh, it's a German word from the late 19th century. So, This is a recurring theme. We'll use an easier word. A main theme in the Book of Mormon, we know that the people in the land of Jerusalem were a righteous people, and our fathers have judged them and have led us away. 
First Nephi chapter 17, verse 22. And that was, I think that was Laman that was saying that. It doesn't say here though, but. Thus said the self-righteous Laman and Lemuel, reproaching Zion. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Thus said Laman and Lemuel. Anyway, that comes from Hugh Nibley's book, Approaching Zion, The Collected Works, Volume 9, page 46. We're on page 154, if you're reading along with us in The Four Kingdoms. Mormonism became an offense to priestcrafters because it presented the truths of the gospel, which in turn exposed the falsehoods in the of the artificial religion. Truth became their enemy. It destroyed their craft. They became angry and fought against it. H.W. Nasbitt commented, quote, Few men love to have their discrepancies of theory or, or thought exposed even to themselves, much less is it enjoyed when proclaimed from the housetops. So the public preaching of Mormonism became an offense in that it wounded the self-love, the self-sufficiency, and the self-satisfaction of even those who had but little of the pharisaic spirit, like Pharisee, I guess. One of the reason, main reasons for a division between Christ's followers and chief priests of that time was the exhibition of the gifts and the powers of the Lord. Though the chief priests were learned scholars and occupied the upper seats, it was the humble disciples of Jesus that enjoyed the gifts and the blessings of heaven. Orson Pratt observed, quote, After having received the Holy Ghost or the Comforter, it immediately began to make manifest a supernatural power upon those men of God. They were unlearned men, most of them, or most of the principled ones, at any rate, were unlearned. They had been engaged, as we heard this forenoon, at the business of fishing, and no doubt had lacked the opportunities for the acquisition of learning which many of the scribes, Pharisees, high priests, and religious people of that day enjoyed. I don't agree with this guy's opinions, but let me just finish the quote. The apostles and the disciples of the Lord Jesus were not doctors of the law and divinity. They had not been educated or qualified for the ministry in any theological school, seminaries, or universities, but they received the Spirit of God which manifest unto them the will of heaven and though they understood only their mother's tongue, the power of the Spirit bestowed upon them enabled them to speak in the various languages and tongues of the earth and to declare, declare the things of God therein on that occasion. Journal of Discourses, volume 14, page 174. So the reason why I don't agree with that is because they did have professions. And they lived in a um, the community of that time. They were educated people. They read Hebrew. Uh, they they read and spoke Aramaic and, and Greek. Um, Peter had a bunch of fishing boats. He had a business. 
you know, like there were different ones that had different businesses. I mean, they weren't all ignorant men. So I don't, I don't think like they weren't educated directly in the observances to be something like a rabbi or a high priest, but um, they would go to synagogue. You know, they were uh, relatively educated uh, as opposed to the surrounding communities uh, in the Middle East. Like, they were very literate people. So they weren't as, I don't think they were as ignorant um, as to the times and the customs and the teachings of the Torah portions of their day. You know, I, I believe these men were religious men that went to synagogue and were raised up. They learned how to read the Torah. They learned how to speak uh, different languages. And now the Spirit did give them more gifts that they were able to do more with what they already had. But I don't think they were like very ignorant men. I just don't, I don't believe that. So anyway, we're on page 155 if you're reading along. Similar spiritual gifts were enjoyed by the early saints too which was an irritation to the proud scholars and lawyers and the ministers of that time, since false priests of the Jews were incapable of receiving revelation, they began to teach that it was not necessary. They had the scriptures, and that was all that was required. This idea was soon uh, transferred into the Catholic and Protestant churches. Because of this background of apostate ideology, the restoration of the gospel was a difficult task. Orson Pratt said the conduct of millions of relations in relation to the Book of Mormon goes to show that they would reject all true revelations as well as false ones. They are determined to reject at all hazards without the least inquiry everything under the name of, of new revelation. They seem to be absolutely certain as their conduct abundantly indicates that God will never favor men with another communication of his will concerning them. And quote the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon, Pratt, Orson Pratt, number one, page one. I just got to say something about that too. So I... I was a Baptist for a while, and I, I spent my mission in Georgia. And um, after my mission, I did a ton of work um, among different uh, different groups, mainly Protestant groups. And um, they always talk about, like, God won't speak to people anymore, but God doesn't say that. He never does say that. They twist some things out of con, or out of. Um, they they have some bad in, interpretations, but like, I always get down to the point where I'm like, look, God doesn't say that He's not having prophets on the earth anymore. In fact, in the Book of Revelations, it says in the last days there will be two prophets. In the Book of Romans, it talks about another prophet coming too. So, like, these are prophets that are going to come forth in the last days, and here you are, and you'll say, oh, well, we don't accept them as prophets because 
God doesn't want us to have any more prophets. Oh, oh, let's forget about the same yesterday, today, and forever. Apparently that's not a thing anymore. But like, if you reject all prophets, you're going to reject the two witnesses who are prophets who come in the very end, in the very last days, because they don't go along with your narrative. And in the book of Acts, chapter 3, 22 and 23, which is after Jesus Christ had already preached, it talks about a man like unto Moses, whom will come among the people, and all they who will not hear the words of that prophet will be destroyed from among the people. Like, it's important not only to hear a person who says that they've gotten revelation from God, but to also go to God and get revelation for yourself. And stop trusting everything that you just hear from the pulpit, whether that's in an LDS ward or from general conference, or if it's from some evangelical or Protestant pastor. Because as the scripture says that the whole world is in gross darkness, it truly is. Even the LDS have gone astray, and I've talked about that a lot in this, in this program, in that past programs anyway. And I know, like, that's just my opinion. Well, I've proved it over and over and over again. So, but anyway, like, we should all expect that God is going to send messengers in our lives. I think it's in uh, Hebrews chapter 13 where it talks about be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And those angels, all that means is they're meleks. It means sent ones. I'm an angel. I know I'm mortal. I know eventually I'm going to die. But I'm a sent one. I have been sent from the presence of God in his holy of holies where I've seen him face to face to educate the people. So when it says be be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware, there's more than just me. I'm not the only one. But like God has people going into people's lives to give them messages and like if they're just going to reject everything that he sends then he'll stop sending them if people would actually take what they learn and not be so hard in their in their mind and their hearts but actually take what what these prophets and these messengers have to give to you and go to God, it'll strengthen your relationship with God because you'll be getting revelation for yourself and receiving a confirmation of the Spirit. Or if you believe what these people are saying and it's wrong, the Spirit will withdraw from you, but you can still know that God is protecting you from false doctrine. But just to use your own mind to say, oh, it doesn't go along with what I think, that's, that is how apostasy happens. And it's the reason why the whole earth is in gross darkness. The whole earth. 
the whole earth, every single one of us, are in gross darkness. Unless you have gotten personal revelation from God because scripture is not a private interpretation. The interpretation belongs to God and the only ones who really know what the interpretation is are those who have gotten the interpretation from God and those are his prophets. Because you're not going to logic your way to the truth. That is not going to get you to the truth. Getting revelation from God after you've gone through it and tried to understand it through logic and through study, that with the revelation of God and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit is what brings you to truth. True prophets will stand out of the way and they will point you to the Savior and to the Father. False prophets and priest crafters and whatever, they will always try to point to themselves. And it's a huge trap for people that are in positions of authority because pride sets in easily. And pride will always be your downfall unless you keep it in check. Continuing on, this was a popular but fatal error invented by priest crafters and passed down to succeeding generations. I feel like I need to... I'm just going to read that, that whole part again. The conduct of millions in, in relation to the Book of Mormon shows, goes to show that they would reject all true revelations as well as false ones. They are determined to reject at all hazards, without the least inquiry, everything under the name of the new revelation. They seem to be absolutely certain, as their conduct abundantly indicates that God will never favor men with another communication of his will concerning them. And that was uh, Orson Pratt. This was a popular but fatal error invented by priest crafters and passed down to succeeding generations. Practices of Priestcraft Priestcraft embraces and promotes several erroneous and dangerous practices and conditions. Five major ones will be discussed here. Number one, wealth and money. Number two, a false god. Number three, superstition, er error, and ignorance. Number four, darkness of mind. Number five, prejudice and persecution. Wealth and money. Like Dr. Craft and lawyer Craft, priest craft is also influenced greatly by the acquisition of wealth and material things. I am happy to say that the religion of Christ is continuing to gain ground in this vicinity. There is a church of about 40 or 50 members in this place, and there are some of the most respectable and intelligent part of the community. It is the baser sort and the false teachers in sheep's clothing that reject the gospel of Christ. The drunkard reviles the religion of the saints because it takes away his cup. The priests who teach for hire and, di- and divine for money will not 
come to the light because their crops will be in danger. The heathens rage and the people imagine vain things, which is Psalms chapter 2. And the cry of these men that have turned the world upside down have come, have come hither also. And great is goddess Diana and is invariably set up by the learned theologians of the day and by their flocks who are blinded by their teachings. End quote. That's William Smith, who is the brother of the prophet Joseph Smith. And that was given May 1841 in the Times and Seasons, Volume 2, page 444. The Times and Seasons was a church publication in Nauvoo. Men are educated to promulgate and sustain false theories to make money and to create and uphold powerful sects. And they teach with their learning and deny the Holy Ghost, which giveth utterance. Because of pride and because of false teachers and false doctrines, the churches have become corrupted and their churches are lifted up because of pride they are puffed up. And they rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing and they, they persecute the meek and the poor in heart because of their pride. They are puffed up. And all this because their fathers transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and broke the everlasting covenant delivered unto them. The truth is easily understood as easily and as easily told. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 214, or on page 157 of the Four Crafts, if you're reading along with us. What do speculators care about our principles? Nothing whatever. They run here to line their pockets with the golden god of, in the mountains. Yes, they come one after another to offer their worship at the shrine of the golden god, and uh, this is, you know, after the, the 49 gold rush. And this is not idolatry. If this is not idolatry, I would like to see it and to know where it is. Where does this idolatrous worship prevail so much as it does in the Christian world? Among the nations, it seems to be the object of both merchants and ministers to get the people's money. Daniel... Wells, who was an early leader in the LDS Church, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 83. Thousands of misguided and deceived are misguided and deceived by priests who preach for money and divine for hire, ministers who make merchandise of the souls of men. The mother of harlots has made all nations to drink of the wine of, of the wrath of her fornication. Just as John the Revelator saw, she would do. Moses Thatcher, who was also an early Mormon leader, Journal of Discourses, Volume 23, page 214. You know, I've been to a lot of good Christian churches in my life, and most of them are, most of them are really sincere in their beliefs, even though they were taught falsehoods by people who taught them, whatever. But I've only met a couple who are really, truly priestcrafters. 
uh, one individual who runs a church in Huntington, Utah, which is kind of close to where I live. He was LDS. Uh, he divorced his wife, and he married another girl who was not LDS, and I don't think he was ever a serious LDS person. But uh, she, he married this other girl, and and this girl's dad owns the, these churches, and they made him a pastor at one of the churches. And I've been to it several times, and I refuse to go, because I, I have a, a level of discernment that I think is more, I don't know, in tune than most people's. But we went there for a while, and he would get so upset that people weren't paying him tithing, uh, and he would always talk about tithing, and like, you got to give him more money, because he needs to be able to afford this church and all this stuff, but like his money that he made for himself off the church paid for his Camaro and his pickup trucks that were like expensive pickup trucks and his Harleys that he would drive around and his big house. And, you know, he had a nice church, but the church wasn't something that he built up from scratch. It was his father-in-law's church that, that this guy became the pastor of without any real training. And you could tell how ignorant this man was. And he was... And I don't even know, like, I guess I like the sister churches that I I have been to in, in Price, Utah that are associated with this, this church. But, um, I don't know, it just, the, the, the other pastors don't flaunt their wealth and then complain about tithing. You know, I, I... I finally left that church, and I refused to set foot set foot in that church. And I go to all kinds of different churches. I I don't stick to one or the other. I'm among all peoples. And um, he was talking about how Passover was always on Friday, and about you know the whole like. Jesus being in the tomb for three days and three nights and, like, being resurrected on Sunday morning, which, like, not even Einstein can make that make sense because it doesn't make sense. It's a fabrication of Catholicism and uh, Roman pagans on the early Christian church. That's where you get that from. But I didn't say all that. I said, did you know that the Jews actually celebrated the Passover this year on, on a Monday? and that the Jewish Passover uh, and the Jewish uh, reckoning of time, the Jewish calendar, doesn't match up with the Gregorian calendar and that it falls on the... And I even showed him the moon cycles and stuff, and he started yelling at me. And I even waited till he was by himself because, like, I just wanted to talk to him, you know, like something interesting. And I follow these things, you know, I follow Hebrew traditions and and learn these laws, and, and I'm into all of that stuff. And he started yelling at me and told me that I wasn't allowed to, to speak that in his church ever again. 
And I was like, look, I'll show you. And I even pulled it up on Google, and he started screaming at me. And I was like, oh, okay, we're not playing this game. And I walked into the Sunday school room, and I said, Kim, we're leaving. Let's get the kids. I'm not coming back to this church. This man is a false teacher, and he is lying to you. And all he wants your tithing for is for his Harleys and his Camaro and his pickup truck. And then I was like talking about the Trinity and I'm like, how is it that you guys believe in the Trinity? I don't understand. Jesus Christ told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he went to paradise that day, yet three days later he told Mary in the garden, I have not yet ascended to my father. They go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto uh, my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. And in Revelation chapter 1, it says that, that Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. But you guys say that Jesus is the Father and the Son and the Spirit. How is that possible when Jesus said, I haven't yet been to where the Father is at? You believe lies. And I left that church. I left it. I'll never step foot, step, step foot back in that church. Kim kind of got mad at me because she kind of liked going there. And, like, we do want a place for our kids to go to church, you know, but, like, it wasn't going to be there. Now, the sister church up in Price, I kind of like that church. But at the same time, I kind of wish I could go to an LBS church, but we're not welcome there. And last time we tried to go to an LBS church and we were welcome was in Spanish Fork. Now, I'm going off on a tangent. I was excommunicated in January of 2013. I was not allowed to go to my own excommunication. So I don't exactly know what they excommunicated me for, but they kind of flipped out about my belief in the Adam-God doctrine. And then uh, when I told the, the state president about my own personal spiritual experiences, uh, he called me a bald-faced liar. When I tried to go, uh, I was an over-the-road truck driver at the time, and I told him I, I wasn't going to be able to make that date, and I was trying to get home so I could go to the trial. And he says, we don't need you to be there. You are going to be excommunicated. Like, I didn't have a trial. Like, there's a, there are laws that God put into place for these things to happen, and I wasn't given any, uh, I wasn't given any, any trial or any ability to be at the trial, even though I gave him lots of warning that, hey, I'm not going to be able to get back in time. And like I was working in um, Connecticut at the time, but I was an over the road truck driver, so I'd have to park in Connecticut, go up to upstate New Hampshire to get like, like my clothes changed out because I didn't have any clothes and it was like a three hour drive to upstate New Hampshire. And then we had to go over to, I think it was Montpelier in Vermont. You know, and that would have taken like seven hours once I got out of the truck just to get over there. And uh, and I wouldn't even be home that day anyway. So anyway, but um, I told him about my experience where God told me to write President Hinckley. And I even showed him a copy of the letter. And where I, the letter that I sent in, they stamped it, uh, Office of the First Presidency. They put a... Um, uh, 
a record number. There's two record numbers on it. And it says Office of the First Presidency. And it's been a while since I've read it. But Gordon B. Hinckley sent L. Tom Perry to come interview me about my experience. And L. Tom Perry believed me about my experience. And he even said, well, God's the one that chooses us prophets, because we sure don't. He slapped me on the back with a big old grin on his face, you know. So that happened in 2004. Well, I told this uh, stake president, uh, who I never would have talked to if it wasn't for the fact that somebody turned me in because I was talking about the Adam-God doctrine and polygamy, not that I was going to live polygamy, but that, like, I, it's just stupid. Like, what once made you an apostate by rejecting those things now makes you an apostate by believing those things. Anyway, but I told that state president, like, our call out Tom Perry. He knows exactly who I am. Gordon B. Hinckley knew who I was, and Gordon B. Hinckley was dead by that time. Thomas S. Monson knows who I am. I used to date his great, or his great niece, and they used to go to church with him at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building, Enzyme First, uh, Enzyme First Ward. Like a bunch, I've met a bunch of these guys. I used to go to church with them. I was married to President Hinckley's great niece. I was at Marjorie Free, uh, Hinckley's funeral. You know, like all the guy had to do is, is call him and say, hey, Mark Lichtenwalter says that he had these experiences, but he didn't do that. He was just going to say, I'm a bald-faced liar and throw me out of the church without any kind of appeal or any kind of excommunication hearing, and, um, and they kicked me out of the church, right? So um, we continued to go to church. Uh, we moved to to Spanish Fork, and the stake president there wrote Thomas Monson, who knows me, a letter and asked them what they should do about me, because they got this file on me, right? And Thomas Monson told the stake president to leave me alone and to allow me to speak at church, that the only thing I wasn't allowed to do was uh, take sacrament, which I don't even care about because the LDS Church lost their authority a long time ago. Um, of course, I didn't know that at the time, but whatever. Um, and uh, I'm not allowed to pray. I cannot pray in church, and I can't take sacrament. But everything else I was allowed to do. So this stake president that was in Spanish Fork, like he'd make a beeline for the door if I ever walked in the room. And he didn't want to talk to me, but he was going to listen to what um, Thomas Monson said, you know. So anyway, uh, we lived there and like we're like I talk a lot in, in Sunday school and everybody's like, wow, that's I really love what you have to say all the time because I actually study and I actually know what I'm talking about. And I don't get too much into the into the deeper things. Um, in Sunday school, I kind of try to keep it simple. But um, there were times when people would find out I wasn't a member of the LDS Church, and it would just it would just make them look like they'd be like, I, I can't believe that. Like, how is it possible that I feel the spirit so strong around him? And me and my wife used to kind of get a giggle out of that sometimes. 
But anyway, so we, we were commanded by the Father to move to Emory County, Utah in 2015 or 2016. And we were commanded to leave populated areas and tell everyone that they needed to leave the populated areas as well and that this would be the gathering place here in Emory County. So I did. I was obedient. I moved down here. And that stake president in Castle, the Castledale stake, uh, he got my file. Um, apparently, I guess he didn't follow the instructions that they were supposed to leave me alone and just let me talk and whatever. So I was told that I would have uh, Kirtland and McConkie, I think is the the lawyers for the church, that they would serve me with a a writ of trespass and I would not be able to come on any LDS properties if I so much as spoke to anybody at church. And I was like, I'm not going to shut up just because you want me to shut up. Like, why don't you go read what the file says? Thomas Monson was still president of the church at that time. Like his, I know that the thing today is, oh, the living prophet's the only one you can listen to. As soon as the guy dies, then it's the next guy, and we're not going to worry about anything that other guy said. I know I'm kind of mocking it, but I'm not. Like, at what point do the uh, the dead prophets have no say in anything anymore? And like, if you're going to throw the dead prophets out, like. Kimball and like Hunter and Benson and whoever else, McKay, whoever else. Like, okay, so all of the New Testament and Old Testament and Book of Mormon prophets and Joseph Smith is dead, so why don't we just throw them all out? Like, it's asinine. Like, if God was teaching a word through a living prophet... His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem is they're not prophets. They want to say, if the dead oracles, and I say, ah, this drives me nuts. An oracle in Hebrew means a word from God delivered to the prophet that the prophet delivers to the people, not the prophet themselves. So Satan, he likes to twist words up and the meaning of words up to get people into an apostate mindset. And he's done the same thing with this word, oracle. And oracle is the word of God as delivered by the prophet, not the prophets themselves. So, quite literally, there are no dead oracles, unless your God is dead. There are no dead oracles. If God gave an instruction or scripture there are no dead oracles that is living word of God but they want to say that the prophets are oracles that is one of the false interpretations of the meaning of the word oracle so that they can twist things into you have to follow the living oracle there are no dead oracles so sick of the apostasy of the LDS church. You were supposed to be a light on the hill and you become nothing but Babylonian businessmen. That's why uh, Mos- or that's why Isaiah saw only a small remnant of the elect being led in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places 
because the rest of the church and the rest of the earth are in gross darkness and full-fledged apostasy. Anyway, continuing on. The only principle upon which they judge me is by comparing my acts with the foolish traditions of their fathers and the nonsensical teachings of the hireling priests, whose object and aim were to keep the people in ignorance for the sake of filthy lucre and, as the prophets say, to feed themselves, not the flocks. Oh, and that's another one of those dead oracles. His name's Joseph Smith, and he's in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 315. I'm like, if they call these men dead oracles, like, where's the foundation of the church? Because, they, because Joseph Smith was the prophet of the restoration. Is he a dead oracle, too? Or is it just Brigham Young and, and the other people that the modern church doesn't agree with? You know, and after they've whitewashed Joseph Smith so they can agree with him, makes me so irritated. Like, I studied my way out of the church. I didn't, I, I wasn't the lazy learner. I actually studied to become the greatest missionary that I could be to the Gentiles because I was sad because I got sick halfway through my mission and they had to send me home on medical leave. And I told God I would serve him for the rest of my life and I meant it. And so when I wasn't able to go back on my mission after being out for a year, I became a fanatic about learning about everything I could so I could be the best missionary that I could be. And I had my CDL, Class A CDL in 95, and before my mission, and I became an over-the-road truck driver, and I did work across all 48 states, Canada, and Mexico as an over-the-road truck driver. Actually, my company went to 49 states. Canada and Mexico, but I never made it to Alaska in a semi-truck. I've been there in an airplane. But anyway, so um, so I've studied these things, and I've really gotten into depth. And I used to say, well, the church is perfect, but the people aren't. Or maybe they're just not ready for this stuff that used to be taught. And like, you know, I made up all kinds of excuses until I just realized that the church was in full-fledged apostasy. And then I found that whole section 124, which I had read over for many years, but never saw. Just like I didn't know about the one mighty and strong setting the house of God in order until after my excommunication. I had no idea that it was there, even though I had read through those scriptures many times. Sometimes you just don't see things because you're not ready to see them yet. But, but in 2013, I learned about how Jesus said that he would reject the church with their dead if they were not obedient to certain things. And it took me a while to get through that and let it sink into my head, but I realized that the church was rejected in Nauvoo and that these other men didn't have any authority. Like, the only reason they keep Brigham Brigham Young on as one of the leaders of the church is because they get their authority through him. But they reject every single thing he has to say. 
all he is is a placeholder to them. They have to get their authority through him in order for them to have legitimate authority, they think. So they will lie to you, just like Brigham Young lied to you about having the keys of the kingdom and the fullness of the priesthood, which he never had. Jesus, Jesus Christ said to Joseph Smith, build a temple here in Nauvoo, whereby the Father can come dwell therein, that he might restore that which was lost to you or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. So build this temple so the Father can restore the priesthood, okay? And if you do these things, I will fight your battles for you. You shall not be removed from your place. This will be the beginning of revelations for the redemption of Zion. I will restore the times and seasons or the Moedim, which is the holy days of Jehovah. Like, this will be the beginning of revelation. There's a whole bunch of stuff that would have happened if they had been obedient and building that temple in a timely manner. But they weren't. And Jesus said, if you don't do these things instead of wrath, blessings, you'll receive wrath and indignation and all these bad things and that you will be rejected as a church with your dead. Okay, now Brigham Young comes along after Joseph Smith dies and says, I got the fullness of the priesthood from Joseph Smith in the red brick store. Well, that's kind of weird because when Joseph Smith died, they were just starting work on the second story of the temple. It wasn't finished in Joseph Smith's lifetime. And the father never came to restore the fullness of the priesthood in a finished temple before the death of Joseph Smith. So how in the world is, is Joseph Smith going to give Brigham Young the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store when the father had not yet been to the temple for it to be restored? Because the temple was never finished. Your leaders are full of lies and hypocrisy. From the top to the bottom, from the FLDS to the AUB to the branch of Christ, uh, to the LDS church, to the RLDS church, to the Strangites, all of them are rejected in Nauvoo. Lyman White recorded Joseph Smith in 1843 where Joseph Smith talked about the church being rejected with their dead. The Bergamite churches whitewashed it from their history as they did many other things, but the RLDS church still has records of that. Not to mention all of the stuff that Brigham Young put on a wagon and sent it out over a thinner portion of ice when they were uh, in their exodus out of Nauvoo. All those records that he wanted to get rid of went through the ice into the Mississippi, never to be seen or heard of ever again. Brigham Young was a liar. Instead of repenting, they went on with their lies and they made up a whole bunch of crap about the endowment. The true endowment was where God came to give the people the fullness of the priesthood to endow them with power. Not a Masonic Muppet play. Your temples are an abomination in the sight of the Lord. 
in fact, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. But like all of these temples I see going up, these billion dollar temples in this hundred trillion dollar church, where are your soup kitchens? Not bishop storehouses where you go and if you have a place to live, like you get some some food and then they kind of whatever. Where are your soup kitchens for the homeless and your uh, your homeless shelters? Utah has a huge problem with homeless people, and all they want to do is kick the homeless people out and make it illegal to be homeless. Those are members of the church that are making those laws in your legislatures. Where are your soup kitchens and your homeless shelters? Why are you grinding the faces of the poor with your billion-dollar temples... With your luxury, your disgusting, filthy lucre. Where are your consecration and your united orders? Well, they cost the church money, so they're not going to have those. Not one in 16 million members of the church in over 180 years. We'll just go back to the 1890s, which is when the last successful United Order uh, was lived. Successful. The church shut it down because of the government um, telling them to. Where are your United Orders? Where are your soup kitchens? Where are your homeless shelters? Like, dropping the mic, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints disgusts me and it is an abomination in the sight of the Lord they speak smooth things to you but they reject the meatier portion of God's word they look upon the meat of the gospel as filth and vomit and they are drunk on the spirit of Babylon the great as Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 28 When they, and they're full of priestcraft. Like, oh, we don't pay our clergy, except for they've got six-figure and seven-figure uh, living stipends every year. Not to mention all of their uh, sitting on the boards of all of these private industries the church owns. These extremely wealthy men. Well, I thought that the scripture said it is not given for one man to own that which was above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And and if you'll be or if you'll be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. But these Babylonian businessmen who wear wool suits, wool suits. What what is sheep's clothing? Do you see the parallelisms here? Wool suits is sheep's clothing. These are Babylonian businessmen who are wolves in in sheep's clothing. They have led the church into apostasy. And that's why Jesus Christ tells Joseph Smith in DNC section 85 that he will have to send one, he will send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, implying it would become out of order. I'm the one that he said would be sent. Whether you like it or not, whether you like the fact that I I don't sound the greatest, whether I get confrontational when I throw it in your face, 
I'm the one that God sent. I've seen him face to face. He gave me the fullness of the priesthood and all of the keys in the kingdom. All of them. I am the Davidic servant that was sent. I'm a direct descendant of King David and Jesse, as well as, as Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh. I'm a direct descendant. I have seen the face of the Father. I have knelt under his hands and received the fullness of the priesthood which would have been restored in Nauvoo if they were obedient. But they weren't. The temple was never even close to being finished by the time Joseph Smith died and he didn't get the fullness of the priesthood to give it to Brigham Young. And Brigham Young misunderstood the fact that the Father is the only one that can give the fullness of the priesthood. It's more than just the Melchizedek priesthood. In order to come into the presence of the Most High, you have to already have the priest, the first level of the Melchizedek priesthood. Or you cannot come into the presence of the Father for Him to give you anything at all. So these people that are saying that the Melchizedek priesthood is the fullness of the priesthood are Judas scouts. They don't know what they're talking about. In order to come into the presence of the Most High so that He can restore that which was lost unto you, or that which Jesus Christ says He, He, not Jesus, has taken away, you actually have to still have the Melchizedek priesthood to come into the presence of the Most High. And when you come into the presence of the Most High in a temple that has been finished or a tabernacle or like I have upon the mountain of God, Mount Vashel, you come into his presence with the, with the priesthood that can be given from man to man or from, uh, from resurrected angel like Peter, James, and John to man on the earth, how it was restored to, to Joseph Smith. You have to have that level of priesthood, which is Melchizedek, to come into the presence of the Father for him to give you the fullness of the priesthood. Joseph Smith could not, even if he did have the fullness of the priesthood, give it to Brigham Young. But the Father had never come to give it to anyone on the earth. Because the temple was never finished in Nauvoo. It never was finished. And Jesus said, if you don't do what I say, you will be rejected with your dead. Your church, the church, read it for yourself. Start with section 124, verses 27 and 28, and just read on, friend. But I know not very many people are going to accept these words. They're going to think, I'm an apostate from the depths of hell. But guess what? Isaiah saw a remnant who were the elect of God, who are led away from them, the drunkards of Ephraim. The kingdom of God in the days of Noah consisted of eight people. You stay in your Gentile church with your lies and your hypocrisy all you want, but I am telling you right now that your temples and the, the taking away from the poor and, and taking the sacred tithing offerings and putting them in Babylonian business offices and, and in investments is an abomination to God. And the fact that you have no 
care at all for the homeless or the soup kitchen, kitchens, but you will build up $100 billion temples is an abomination to God. You are the drunkards of Ephraim, and you need to repent and come away from the cursed Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who was rejected in Nauvoo in 1843. And all they who hindered that work of building that temple would be cursed to the third and fourth generation, which was up to 160 years. And 160 years after Joseph Smith said the church was rejected in 1843 was 2003. And that's when the father called me up personally in the flesh and put his hands upon my head and sealed me up unto him and unto eternal life, which is what my patriarchal blessing said, uh, talked about in 1997, years before the 2003 uh, incident incident experience and I was given the fullness all those keys that you think that Russell and Nelson has he is an imposter and he is a liar and I was given them directly into the hands of the father and that testimony has lost me jobs even though I'm a damn good truck driver it's lost me friends it's lost me family members But I cannot deny what actually happened. The same that Joseph Smith cannot deny what actually happened to him. When Moroni told Joseph Smith the first time he met him that the man of Acts chapter 3 verses 22 and 23 was Christ but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. It wasn't talking about Jesus because there's a Messiah for Judah who is the King Messiah and the Savior of the world and a political Messiah of the house of Joseph, who is also called a Messiah or a Messiah ben Joseph, or in Greek, a Christ. People don't understand that word. They don't even understand what the word Christ even means. They think that Jesus Christ's last name is Christ. Your ignorance betrays your salvation. Jesus Christ had already been rejected by his people when Moroni told Joseph Smith that this man or this Christ had not yet been rejected by his people, but that time soon would come. And it wasn't Joseph Smith either, because Joseph was, was accepted by the majority of his people. But Moroni said that, that that man was Christ, speaking of Messiah ben Joseph, the Davidic servant, the second witness of the Father, and that he would be rejected by his people, which prophecy is now being fulfilled in your ears and probably by you. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23, it says that this was the man like unto Moses. And all they who would not hear the words of that prophet, speaking of a latter-day prophet after the death of Jesus Christ, in Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, after Christ was crucified and resurrected, it talks about one like unto Moses, and if the people would not hear that prophet, they would be 
they'd be destroyed. How were they destroyed? Because the man like unto Moses or the Messiah ben Joseph leads the people in the highways of the top of the mountains and in the desert places. He tells them where the gathering place is because God the Father has told him where to go. And that's Emory County, Utah. Until things get so bad that we have to flee into the highways of the top of the mountains and into the desert places. And I guarantee you, if you don't know where we're going, you're not going to find it. And as the whole world burns down around us, especially this great land of the United States of America, as it burns down, and it will, you will be destroyed from among the people. And the remnant of God will be hidden away in a place prepared for them for Zion's redemption in the wilderness. And when the destruction has passed through and the cleansing is done, we will come out of our place where God is protecting us and we will go back to the center place. And we will not meet anybody there because they will be dead. All these people that are running back to the center place because they don't get revelation for themselves and they listen to these false Judas goats who are telling them this is where we need to be. This is where you have to be. They won't be there. All they who will not hear the words of that prophet, the one, the man like unto Moses, the one who is called Messiah ben Joseph, the one that Moroni said that would be rejected by his people after Jesus Christ had already been rejected. It's not talking about Jesus Christ. All they who would reject this prophet, these days are the days of fulfilled prophecy. And I used to really, I used to get really excited about this whole Zion's redemption. I just didn't realize that when Isaiah saw in Isaiah 49 that that this prophet would would lament and say that that you know what the heck is the the point of all this? They just reject me because that's all that that's all you guys do. You just reject me, and you call me batshit crazy and everything else. But I have been sent with a message directly from the throne of God, who I have seen face to face in the flesh and embraced in the flesh. It wasn't the delusions of a mind, and it wasn't the angel of light coming, Satan coming as an angel of light. It's blasphemy to call my experiences the delusions of Satan or the the delusions of men. And you might say, oh, I'm only following Jesus. I'm only following Jesus. Well, then why the hell would Jesus say that there was a, a prophet that you had to hear or you would be destroyed? Because God does send his prophets to lead the people. Unfortunately, Satan sends Judas goats who are more interested in wealth and money and power than he is in sending true prophets.
and this false doctrine crap that these current leaders of the church, the current oracles, the living oracles are the most important. Joseph Smith is a dead oracle too. Again, I'll erase his words. I know you've already tried speaking to the leadership of the church. They tried to get rid of a bunch of stuff. Hubert J. Grant especially. Anyway, elders went out seeking to evangelize the world without purse or script. It was an eloquent protest against the large salaries, the fat livings, and the chartered privileges uh, and usurped authority, such as before had never been revealed. H.W. Nasbet in Contributions, Volume 7, page 130. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Since money is such an important influence in modern ministries, it tends to attract the least spiritual into that profession. They enter the ministry for personal gain, not for necessarily not necessarily to teach and to help people or for charity purposes. You know, and if I was doing this for personal gain, I wouldn't be on this kick. Because this makes me an enemy of 99.9% of Mormons. Certainly 100% of evangelicals. Like, there's no popularity in the things that I'm, going, uh, that I'm saying. In fact, I have lost money doing this thing that God has asked me to do. Literally thousands and thousands of dollars and, and thousands and thousands of hours. I've been doing this since 2012, partly, but, but my own program since 2014. I've not made hardly any money on this. Every once in a while, somebody will give me some money and help me out a little bit. But I have spent more time and more money that has gone out from my own pocket to put this message out there because God has told me to do these things than I am ever going to see from any of you in, in any tithing that you might give me. If it involves big money, naturally it draws big businessmen, as Eustace Mullins discovered, and we're on page 158, so we've only gone through six pages today. But The Rockefeller monopoly influence has had its effect on some New York, New, some of New York's largest and wealthiest churches. Trinity Church on Wall Street, whose financial resources had been directed by none other than J.P. Morgan, owns some 40 commercial properties in Manhattan and has a stock portfolio of $50 million, which, due to informed investment, actually yields a return of $25 million a year. Only $2.6 million of this income is spent on charitable work. The, re- the rector, who receives a salary of $100,000 a year, lives on the fashionable Upper East Side. Trinity's mausoleum sells its space as fees starting at $1,250 and rising up to $20,000. St. Bartholomew's on 5th Avenue has an annual budget of $3.2 million a year of which only 100000 is spent on charity. Its rector resides in a 13-room apartment on Park Avenue. And that's from the book Murdered by Injection by Mullins, 
page 342. A false god, priestcraft includes men who claim to be sent out, are sent of God, but which god? They teach, they teach about a false god, a far-off god who has no body parts or passions, one who saves people by grace alone. Singular as it may seem, all of Christendom, Catholicism, Episcopalians, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, Quakers, Universalists, Deists, Deists, and all other denominations but the Mormons worship a God afar off and not near at hand. And add to this idea the refinement of age, of the age and the spiritual wisdom of priestcraft and the majority of the Christian population actually worship nothing. That's Times and Seasons, Volume 5, page 745. It is this eternal gospel of truth which has been restored in this dispensation through the instrumentality of the inspired man, a prophet of the living God, that we have to offer to people of the world. It has many features distinct from the gospel that are being taught by hired ministers in the world. As Brother A.P. Kessler has been telling us, the gospel which Jesus taught was a gospel of deeds, not a gospel of words. It was indeed a gospel of action. It required unbound faith and obedience to the commands of God. And not only and not only required this, but it required a man whole man's whole heart and mind, his whole being. This is one of the principal distinguished features, one of the principal distinguished features between the doctrine of Jesus or the Latter-day Saints and the doctrines advocated by men who preach for hire and divine for money. I myself heard one of those eminent preachers of the latter days called an evangelist declare in solemn words to a congregation of more than 8,000 people that it was not works which would save the world. It was not obedience to this commandment or to that commandment. It was not an acceptance of this ordinance or that ordinance that would save the world. For these he claimed were only outward works which were intended to satisfy the conscience. He said there was only one thing needful, simply required, requiring the exertion of the mind, and that was that we should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we would be saved. It was not essential to be baptized. It was not essential to lay on hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was not essential to go through any form of confirmation. These were only forms and were not essential. The only thing essential was belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And quote Joseph F. Smith. And that's from that, um, it's C-O-L-L period D-I-S-E. I'm going to have to call Kevin and see what that means. Kevin Kraut is the son of Ogden Kraut. He would know. And I, I, every time I see him, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Anyway, it's volume 5, page 447 or 448. 
The apostle Orson Pratt wisely explained the ridiculous terms, ridiculous doctrine of the Godhead as taught by many modern ministers. There have been various species of idolatry in different ages of the world. The sun, the moon, the stars, beasts, crocodiles, frightful serpents, images of wood and stone and of brass, and have been erected into gods and worshipped by innumerable multitudes. But the system of idolatry invented by modern Christianity far surpasses the absurdity in anything that, that we have ever heard of. Using the terms as we use them of ourselves, God is not here or there or any more than he exists now. And then the species of idolatry, according to the foregoing quotations, approaches so near to atheism that no one can tell the difference. Reader, can you see the difference? A God without a body? A God without parts? A God that cannot be here or there, a God that is nowhere, a God that cannot exist now and then, a God that exercises in no time, a God that has no extension, no parts, no conceivable relation to time or space. Oh, blush for the modern Christianity, a pious name for atheism. Some perhaps may think that I have not sufficient charity, But why should I have charity for a God that has no parts and no relation to space? Let him first have charity for himself. But this word, this would be impossible, for he is a God without passion. He can have no charity nor love for himself nor anyone else. There is no danger of offending him, for a passionless God is not capable of anger. End quote by Orson Pratt's works, as recorded in Orson Pratt's works, pages 35 through 36. Believing in a God made of nothing is bad enough, but to try to teach about and protect such a ridiculous person by unrighteous means is another. Missionaries have been outlawed, persecuted, and driven from cities and states simply because they believe in the personal God that is described in the Bible, but many of their listeners want nothing to do with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The First Presidency of the Church confirmed this. Latter-day Saints, were you in countries ruled by some of the Christian Protestants, you would not have had much liberty as you do now. Neither would Neither could our hopes be so bright for the future. The priestcrafts and sin and misrule are very great in many nations, so much so that we cannot preach the gospel there at all. Joseph F. Smith, Willard w- R- Richards, I'm sorry, Wilford Woodruff, Message of the First Presidency, Volume 3, page 286. Apostle Parley P. Pratt also attested to this. Priestcraft reigns triumphant in all these countries as by law established and by law paid and supported by marriages and christening, fees, forgiving sin, etc. Parley P. Pratt, Autobiography, 1985 edition, page 363. Superstition, error, 
and ignorance. I have been here now until a gen- until a general excitement prevails amongst both priests and people, but mostly with the priests who excite and encourage the common people, for I have not seen a people so completely priest-ridden in any place as in these eastern states. Superstition and bigotry seem to have attained their highest pinnacle, while the minds of many are bound down by the shackles and chains of modern priestcraft. Error, confusion, anarchy, and misrule are the only spirits that govern. Nothing but the power of God can in any way beneath the heavens break the league of the iron grasp of the devil that appears to be reverted upon the minds of, of almost all the people. Edward D. Woolley, June 1843, in the Times and Seasons, Volume 4, page 226. I would like to see the footsteps of the Almighty, and they are now beginning to be visible, in his going forth to cut off the bitter branches, and by and by, the stone cut out of the mountain will begin to roll. And if it does not soon crush some of the toes of that great image, I am mistaken. For perhaps, or for from present appearance, I think that the toes will be pretty much mutilated before the stone reaches them. I pray for this constantly, for I would be glad to see the inhabitants of the earth have the privilege of believing the gospel for themselves and not any more be bound by the blight influences of priestcraft. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 202. 73 and 274. I, you know, a lot of people think that the church is that stone that rolls forth that's talked about in Daniel chapter 7, but it's not. The stone is cut out of the mountain made without hands. The mountain made without hands is the church. The stone is the stone and shepherd of Joseph that is cut out or excommunicated from the church. The stone is Messiah ben Joseph. When he rolls forth, when he is given the ability to roll forth after the gathering and all that fun stuff, he will destroy those kingdoms. When the kingdom of God is established on the earth in its fullness, the stone of Joseph that is cut from the church or excommunicated will roll forth. It's not the church. The adversary of all righteousness being crafty and beguiled, beguiled the people and stirred them up to anger against the words spoken and has blinded their eyes and is leading them down to darkness, misery and woe. This generation abounds in ignorance, superstition, selfishness, idolatry, and priestcraft, for this generation is truly led by priests, even hireling priests, whose God is the substance of this world's goods, which waxeth old and is beginning to fade away, who, who look for their hire, everyone from his quarter. The book of John Whitmer, transcript, BYU, A, par, uh, page 2. All right, so the next time we come back, we'll be talking about a darkness of mind and uh, 
I'll just leave it at that at this point. Thank you for listening to the program. Well, that's the end of the program for today. I think we're just going to leave it at that. Uh, when we come back on, we'll continue with, I think it's uh, the next part, uh, page 162 or 163. I don't know. Anyway, I hope everybody has a good night. And I am going to take a break for uh, some work. So, But we'll be back on probably Monday. So I'm going to try to stick to the schedule of Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of uh, reading about an hour's worth of content, maybe even up to an hour and 20 or 30 minutes. Um, I don't really know what else to say. So we'll be back on, uh, like I said, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And uh, we'll go up to 8 p.m. at night, and the chat rooms will always be open, and the guest caller number will always be open in case anybody has anything they want to say. I'll also be posting these things on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S-1977. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And like I said, I hope you have a good evening and Shabbat Shalom. Take care everyone. Goodbye.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.